Late summer 1765, Pennsylvania colony. An angry mob lumbered toward Market Street, wielding pitchforks and torches. They were on their way to burn down Benjamin Franklin's house. The Pennsylvanians were furious that Franklin had supported the British Empire's Stamp Act. The policy imposed even more unpopular taxes on the American colonies. As the streets rang with chants of no taxation without representation, a family friend urged Franklin's wife, Deborah, to flee. But Deborah refused to run, even as the mob surrounded her home. Instead, she begged her cousin to come over and to bring his guns. Not only did he arrive as asked, he brought other armed defenders with him. They successfully scared the mob away before it could hurt anybody. Deborah, her cousin, and his friends all proved their bravery that day. But obviously, one key person was missing. Benjamin Franklin. The statesman hadn't been there to protect his home or loved ones because he was in London with his second family. The threat against Deborah wasn't enough to bring Franklin back to the States, nor were the growing rumblings of an American revolution. In fact, he spent much of his political career supporting England. And just as he betrayed his wife for a British partner, Benjamin Franklin may have also been a traitor to the United States. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our first episode on Benjamin Franklin, the famous scientist, writer, and statesman known for helping draft the Declaration of Independence. But it's his darker secrets that don't often make it into history books. This episode will examine Franklin's divided loyalties, We'll look at his families on both sides of the Atlantic and his questionable stance during the lead-up to the American Revolution. Then, we'll discuss the literal skeletons in his closet. Next time, we'll explore a few theories, like whether Franklin was a British spy and a traitor, or if his pamphlets and essays on morality were part of a cover-up to distract from his sex addiction. And finally, we'll investigate whether Franklin was a serial killer. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.
This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened, I'm okay, other people have it worse, it doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd started to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Today, Benjamin Franklin is famous for helping establish the United States as a nation and to a lesser extent for his scientific contributions. His reputation spans history. School children know him as the man who flew a kite in a lightning storm. Historians and political theorists study his writings on democracy. His face still graces the $100 bill. But Franklin's backstory has a much darker side than the textbooks and biographies would suggest. Before he became a founding father, Benjamin Franklin was a humble printer and writer. He worked as an indentured servant in his brother's shop with little opportunity for a career advancement. Apparently, Franklin chafed under the terms of his employment. He wrote fictional pieces that lambasted the ruling elite. One of his pseudonymous personas was a prudish widow named Silence Duguid who lamented that Harvard was for boring rich kids. Notably, Franklin had decided against attending Harvard himself. But after five years of labor, Franklin realized that he couldn't go on writing spitefully in his spare time while he spent the bulk of his days working for his brother. He needed to get out of the print shop. But indentured servants were bound to work for their employers for a set number of years. He couldn't just quit and walk away. In Franklin's case, he wasn't allowed to leave until he turned 21, a birthday that was still two years away. If Franklin wanted to escape, he had to make a clean cut from his entire Puritan family. So in 1723, he left Boston in the middle of the night and relocated to Philadelphia. Soon afterward, he accepted a clerking position on Market Street and got his own place. And once he was settled, 17-year-old Franklin let loose. Aside from having a good job, Franklin was smart, charismatic, and good-looking. Women flocked to him. He had multiple casual relationships with sex workers and impoverished women, partners he considered beneath him. One of Franklin's first serious love affairs was with his landlord's daughter, a quiet young woman named Deborah Reed. 
They later were engaged, but in 1724, Franklin heard of a job lead in England, so they decided to postpone the wedding until he returned. But as soon as Franklin arrived in London, he forgot all about his fiancée. He was traveling with a friend named James Ralph, and it didn't take long for the two men to befriend a woman lodging at the same house as them. Franklin's autobiography never mentioned the woman's name, but we'll call her Prudence. Prudence and Ralph instantly fell for each other, even though Ralph was a married father. As the affair grew more serious, Ralph told Franklin he planned to abandon his family and get a fresh start with Prudence. Franklin didn't only stand by his adulterous friend, he helped Ralph cover up his infidelities. Ralph even assumed the name Mr. Franklin to make it harder for anyone to track him down. And when Ralph didn't have enough money to support Prudence, the real Ben Franklin chipped in. This might sound like Franklin was just being a good friend, though to the detriment of Ralph's first wife and child, but it didn't take long for Franklin to betray his companion. At one point, while Ralph was traveling for work, Franklin dropped by Prudence's house to check in on her. During a lively conversation, Franklin realized he too was attracted to her. He knew his friend had thrown away his family, his life, and his reputation for this woman. And still, Franklin tried to seduce her. But Prudence wasn't having it. She was so offended by Franklin's proposition, she threw him out of her house and reported what had happened to Ralph. And in one fell swoop, Franklin betrayed his fiancée and destroyed a friendship. On his return trip to Philadelphia in 1726, Franklin was overwhelmed with guilt. To prevent himself from repeating his mistakes, he wrote himself a list of rules called a plan for future conduct. Among other things, he promised himself he'd be more practical, more sincere, and that he'd refocus his attention away from sex and romance and towards making money. As soon as he docked in Philadelphia, Franklin threw himself into his work. Not only did he soon invent a way to make printing easier, he also started a newspaper, the Pennsylvania Gazette, and an annual publication, Poor Richard's Almanac. Both became massive hits. To draw in more customers, Franklin formed a social club called the Junto. There, he met with friends and townsfolk to debate morals, politics, and philosophy. And of course, these well-to-do men exchanged business ideas and made lucrative deals with each other. With the best social connections, Franklin carved himself a reputation as a distinguished gentleman. Now all he needed was a wife to keep him honest and add to his wholesome image. But Franklin kept getting in his own way. The more commercial success he saw, the harder it was for him to follow his own plan for future conduct. Before long, he backslid into old habits, like sleeping with women from lower social classes who he considered unsuitable for marriage. Franklin seemed well aware of his own hypocrisy. Even while he slept around, he wrote about his disdain for, quote, low women, end quote. He complained they were expensive arm candy and they'd become inconvenient when they got pregnant. In other words, Franklin wrote a lot about relationships 
but he wasn't all that invested in monogamy or marriage, which makes it pretty astonishing that in 1730, Franklin somehow reconciled with his former fiancée, Deborah. It's not clear if they actually fell back in love or if their reunion was for some other reason. It may have been that Franklin wanted a wife to help shore up his reputation because he was about to become a father. Soon after he reunited with Deborah, Franklin's illegitimate child, William, was born. The mother's identity never became public knowledge, but she probably wasn't Deborah. It's hard to say for sure because Deborah and Franklin had a complicated relationship. They lived as though they were married, which wasn't exactly true. After their first broken engagement, Deborah had wed another man who ran away to the West Indies and never filed for divorce. Since bigamy was illegal, the Franklins kept quiet about Deborah's past. Nonetheless, rumors began to fly about their marriage and their alleged son. It didn't take long for people to realize that William was too old to have been conceived before Franklin and Deborah's alleged wedding. And complicating matters even further, Franklin refused to say exactly when William had been born. All of the gossip must have bothered Deborah, but it was devastating for young William. To make matters worse, his adoptive mother treated him poorly. While she doted on her biological children, she complained to a friend that she didn't like William and had nicknamed him Villain. In turn, William's mistreatment only fueled more rumors. Many bystanders thought that no mother would treat her own biological child so poorly. And sadly, the boy's father refused to defend him. By all accounts, during William's childhood, Franklin and Deborah were happy together and rarely argued or bickered. In 1730, Franklin even published a set of rules for matrimonial bliss. Which reads like every feminist's worst nightmare. Franklin instructed wives not to try to manage their husbands. Instead, he indicated they should accept their partner's faults, obey them, and subjugate their own happiness to their spouses. Meanwhile, Franklin apparently advised his male friends that they should seek out older women as mistresses. He argued that they were smarter and more interesting than young women and less likely to get pregnant. In other words, Franklin's public and private personas continued to be at odds. He branded himself as a wholesome, upstanding family man, while he also had a child out of wedlock and considered himself an expert on adultery. Ironically, though, the hypocrisy may have helped him. He was beloved in every circle. Traditional moralists and free-thinking rebels alike adored him. Thanks to his powerful friends and his adaptability, Franklin became incredibly accomplished early in life. His achievements included founding the University of Pennsylvania, creating a volunteer fire department, and championing a tax-funded police force. And in 1731, he received an invitation to join one of the most powerful and secretive groups in American history, the Freemasons. Coming up, Franklin joins the Freemasons and a murder occurs on his watch. The CIA, 
They're the first line of defense for the United States, analyzing intelligence to thwart any possible threats and keep us safe. Some of their involvements are made public, and others aren't. Hi, it's Carter from Parcast, and in honor of America's birthday, we're uncovering the cases you were never supposed to know about in the new series, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. From international assassination plots and mind control experiments to catastrophic cover-ups and secret societies fit for film, sift through the agency's most questioned and controversial affairs. Each week, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition exposes the covert operations intended to protect us from conflicts, but end up creating conspiracies. Where does the truth lie? Where do the lies end? And how much do we really want to know? Follow the new Spotify original from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. Listen every Thursday, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Now, back to the story. In 1731, the Philadelphia Freemasons seemed tailor-made for a young, ambitious businessman like Benjamin Franklin. The exclusive fellowship was steeped in tradition, dedicated to civic works, and catered to men of honor, just like the motto of the Junto, the club Franklin had founded earlier. Though women and people of color need not apply, The club was chiefly for helping young white men to climb the social ladder. Naturally, Franklin was curious about the Freemasons. He wanted to join, but first he needed an invitation. So to get their attention, he wrote an article for his newspaper, The Gazette, poking fun at their secretive nature. As he'd hoped, the piece made the Freemasons sit up and take note, and they asked Franklin to join. After he performed the secret initiation rituals to get in, Franklin became a loyal member. Not only did he retract his article about their secretiveness, he started publishing essays about their good works and their illustrious history. The flattery paid off. By 1734, he attained the highest level of Grand Master. Unfortunately, his position of authority meant that three years later, Franklin was embroiled in one of the Masons' most notorious scandals. Around that time, a young apprentice named Daniel Reese asked his master, a pharmacist, if he could join the Freemasons. The pharmacist knew that the Masons would never accept Reese. He reportedly had an intellectual disability that the club decided disqualified him from membership. 
But instead of rejecting Reese outright, the pharmacist decided to pull a prank on him with assistance from a few fellow Masons. Under the guise of an initiation ritual, they forced Reese to swear an oath of allegiance to Satan, slipped him drinks laced with laxatives, and sexually assaulted him. The pharmacist and his friends joked about their cruel act to anyone who would listen. Eventually, news made it to their good friend and grandmaster, Ben Franklin. Like the pranksters, he also thought the incident was hilarious and even asked for a copy of the Oath to Satan. Astoundingly, rather than end things there, the pharmacist persuaded Reese to perform a second set of rituals. He instructed Reese to go to the cellar of his house. When Reese arrived at the appointed time, he found a dark crypt illuminated by flaming bowls of brandy. During his second so-called initiation, one of the pranksters apparently tripped and spilled one of the bowls all over Reese. The flaming alcohol scalded him with severe burns. Reese was badly hurt. Sadly, he died two days later. Once the authorities learned how Reese had died, they charged the Masonic pranksters with manslaughter. The Philadelphia Freemasons immediately distanced themselves from the case claiming they had nothing to do with the fake and inhumane rituals. Franklin even testified for the prosecution. He confessed that he'd laughed about the murderer's joke, but denied any other involvement in Reese's homicide. Ultimately, only one of the men was penalized for the crime, his sentence to be branded on his hand. It appeared the courts weren't interested in bringing justice to Reese's killers but the general public was a lot less forgiving. Soon after the trial, rumors swirled, suggesting that Franklin had intentionally befriended Reese, manipulated him, and egged him on to his death. Franklin tried to defend himself in the Gazette, saying he detested abuse, but that was a hard sell, especially since he'd already admitted under oath that he thought the hazing was funny. With few sympathetic ears, Franklin leaned into his friendships with Pennsylvania's wealthy and influential, who apparently considered the scandal a minor affair. Seemingly, not even murder could color their impression of the friendly, successful businessman. Franklin continued to make friends, win customers, and bring in a hefty income. He was so successful that he could afford to retire when he was only 42. Retirement hardly marked a slowdown for Franklin. He dedicated himself to politics, diplomacy, and science. Most famously, Franklin made an electrifying discovery during a thunderstorm. While many people credit Franklin with discovering electricity, that's not entirely accurate. Scientists had known about charged energy for centuries, but they didn't know what lightning was. Franklin theorized that lightning was just a huge spark. All he had to do was prove his hypothesis during a storm. With his son William's help, Franklin devised an experiment featuring wire, a metal key, and a jar designed to store electrical charges. He figured that if he could draw electricity to the key, the jar would hold its energy and prove his hypothesis. Initially, Franklin wanted to climb up a tall church steeple during a storm, but luckily, cooler heads prevailed. Instead, 
he and William realized that they could attach the key to a kite string and send the kites soaring through the storm while the duo remained safely on the ground. One cloudy, windy afternoon in June 1752, Franklin and William hurried into an open field, anticipating that thunder and lightning would break out any second. While dark clouds gathered and the wind whipped the grass into a frenzy, Franklin released his kite into the storm. Contrary to popular belief, Franklin's kite was not struck by lightning. If it had been, he could have been electrocuted. Instead, the kite picked up the ambient electrical charge. Still, Franklin became a superstar, having captured lightning from the clouds. His scientific discoveries didn't stop there. Franklin also invented things like the first flexible urinary catheter and a metal-lined fireplace to maximize heat and minimize smoke. Which was on top of his passion to build himself a formidable writing career. But while he thought he published progressive, thought-provoking pieces, Franklin's actual beliefs were nowhere near as enlightened as his writings implied. Some of them were decidedly backward, even for the time, especially regarding slavery. Not only did Franklin own enslaved people, he sold ads in his paper to enslavers, and he even attempted to justify his behavior in his own essays citing false notions of racial superiority. Sadly, Franklin's racism was common during this time, even among his fellow founding fathers. Many of Franklin's contemporaries were aware that slavery was immoral, but did little to change their stance on the topic. In fact, one of Britain's first major abolition movements began during Franklin's lifetime. Franklin likely heard many of these debates around slavery, Granted, he spent nearly two decades in England, beginning in 1757, and when back in America, he served as a diplomat for the Pennsylvania government, which was called the Assembly. Now, the Assembly's role in the colonies was complicated. In very simple terms, the family of a British proprietor named William Penn controlled the territory. But they lived in England, so they needed representatives who were based in Philadelphia to govern the land. Enter the Assembly, a democratically elected legislature of 34 men. But they didn't really answer to their constituents. They reported to Penn. For the first few decades, the Penn family had been relatively hands-off with the colony. The Assembly was more or less free to pass whatever policies worked best for the people. But by the mid-1700s, Britain was embroiled in several expensive wars, and Penn pressured the Assembly to impose taxes on the Pennsylvanians. These new fees were incredibly unpopular, but the Assembly couldn't say no. Franklin wanted the Crown to remove Penn from power, but not for the larger purpose of a truly liberated territory. He still wanted Pennsylvania to be a British royal colony, just not governed by the Penn family. But Franklin's proposed solution didn't address the real problem. Many Americans were already thinking about seceding from England entirely. And his advocacy for continued British control didn't win him any allies at home, namely because he had deep personal motives to keep Pennsylvania as a colony. Franklin was so ambitious as to believe he had a future as the governor of Pennsylvania. 
if he could convince England's King George III to appoint him to the position. Of course, the crown only had that authority so long as Pennsylvania was part of the British Empire. And on top of that desire, Franklin also wanted to own land in England and enjoy the noble status that came with it. This would again require him to be on the king's good side. So in actuality, these self-serving hopes meant that founding father Benjamin Franklin didn't actually want a revolution. In fact, when a group of rebels staged an iconic protest in Boston Harbor, Franklin did everything he could to discredit them. Coming up, as a revolution brews, Franklin fumbles to pick a side. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Now, back to the story. London in the late 1750s was cramped, dirty, and disease-ridden. But Benjamin Franklin loved its vibrancy and art scene. He regularly visited salons to catch up on the latest news. And he wasn't alone. Franklin traveled with his son, William, though his wife, Deborah, was always left behind. She was afraid to sail and refused to travel outside of the colonies, which gave Franklin an excuse to seek out female company elsewhere. In England, he lived with a widow named Margaret Stevenson, who acted like Franklin's surrogate wife. She fed him, dressed him, and even sent packages to Deborah in Philadelphia. She also accompanied Franklin to parties as his date. We can assume some gossip spread, suggesting that Margaret and Franklin were having an affair, and the couple didn't deny it. Apparently, Franklin didn't care about his reputation as a doting husband anymore. Even worse, rumors suggested that Franklin was also sleeping with Margaret's 18-year-old daughter, Polly. Based on the letters he sent Polly, it seems that Franklin tried to be her lover and a father figure. This didn't seem like a healthy relationship with any appropriate boundaries. In fact, Franklin's life was full of blurred lines. In addition to his romantic exploits, Franklin doggedly tried to keep his centrist position between the American colonies and the crown. But the Stamp Act made this impossible. In 1765, the British Parliament passed a tax on newspapers and commercial documents. Franklin thought that nominating his friend as a tax collector might make the transition go more smoothly. But the plan backfired. Franklin's implicit support of the tax infuriated American colonists, propelling the angry mob to descend on his house in Philadelphia. On a larger scale, the controversy sparked a radical transformation in the colonies. Patriots like Samuel Adams, Paul Revere, and John Hancock began plotting a rebellion. 
The revolutionary fervor finally did what countless affairs, scandalous pregnancies, and a murder trial couldn't. It ruined Franklin's reputation. Suddenly, he was one of the most hated men in the colonies. Franklin tried to backpedal, arguing that he actually opposed the Stamp Act, but had been overpowered in debates. He also penned some 13 different essays attacking the legislation. But his arguments were too little too late. A political cartoon in American papers depicted a devil whispering in Franklin's ear. He said, Thee shall be agent, Ben, for all my dominions. The simmering fury boiled over two years later in 1767, when England placed new taxes on paint, lead, glass, and tea. Once again, Franklin tried to pacify his friends. He claimed that the only reason he was still in London was to convince King George III to repeal his unpopular taxes. He denied that he had any personal motive to stay in England. At the very same time, he was advancing his own agenda to curry favor with the crown. Franklin didn't even return to the colonies when Deborah had a stroke in 1769. She wrote to her husband, telling him that she was dying, but he still remained in Europe. Franklin never made it home to tell Deborah goodbye, nor did he attend her funeral. He also missed both of his children's weddings, though he did manage to walk his surrogate daughter Polly down the aisle. Franklin remained in Europe during the Boston Massacre in 1770, in which British soldiers shot and killed five people and during the Boston Tea Party in 1773, when revolutionary protesters dumped all the tea into Boston Harbor. Finally, he came home in 1775, just in time for the battles of Lexington and Concord to kick off the Revolutionary War. It marked the end of Franklin's time as an American statesman in England. Peace was no longer an option. Amazingly, Franklin pulled off one last flip-flop. Upon returning to Philadelphia, he started advocating for American Revolution. And in his sudden action, Franklin became beloved again as a patriot. He even won an election to be a delegate to the Second Continental Congress. And throughout the war, Franklin worked as tirelessly as he had in the previous decades. He edited important revolutionary documents like Common Sense and the Declaration of Independence. Not only did he earn the Founding Fathers' trust, he received another prestigious overseas appointment. When George Washington's army needed international support, Franklin worked as a diplomat to France. But this work also embroiled Franklin in even more controversy. In France, Franklin hired a man named Edward Bancroft to be the secretary to the American delegation. By all accounts, Bancroft was a good worker, but he was also a spy. Bancroft sent several missives to the British Secret Service that looked like love letters, but they contained encrypted messages, including copious notes on Franklin's activities in France and details on the troops' movements. Bancroft then used invisible ink and a dead drop to deliver the letters to the British Embassy. It's unclear whether Franklin was aware of Bancroft's work, but luckily, the espionage didn't tip the scales of war. Ultimately, American colonists won their freedom 
and Franklin was hailed as a revolutionary hero. When 84-year-old Franklin died seven years later in 1790, citizens throughout the United States and Europe mourned. French officials honored him for his scientific discoveries and diplomacy. In his hometown of Philadelphia, 20,000 people attended the funeral, more than two-thirds of the city's population at the time. Somehow, despite being the epitome of hypocrisy and self-interest, Franklin had completely redeemed his reputation. Perhaps in light of this, a few scandals trailed after him in death. His house in London eventually became a museum, but by 1998, the crumbling building needed major renovations. When a team of contractors began excavating for a renovation, they found something disturbing. The crew was digging under a room, then called the Seminar Room. But in Franklin's time, that same patch of ground had been a garden. Nobody expected to find anything but dirt and clay. Instead, they uncovered a secret underground chamber. According to the Ben Franklin House, it was only a meter wide and a meter deep, but that tiny space contained 1,200 human and animal bones. Forensic scientists estimated they'd come from around a dozen people, including six children. That same team estimated the skeletons were more than a century old, a timeline that suggests they'd likely been buried during Franklin's stay. This discovery left historians reeling. They already knew Franklin was an adulterer, a hypocrite, and a possible traitor. Now they had to wonder, he was a serial killer as well. Next episode, we'll try to answer that very question as we cover three conspiracy theories about Benjamin Franklin. Like conspiracy theory number one, that Franklin was a British spy. Conspiracy theory number two, Franklin used his publications to distract and cover up his numerous affairs and his many illegitimate children, besides William. And conspiracy theory number three, Franklin was a serial killer who buried his victims in the secret room under his London garden. We may never know the truth about Benjamin Franklin's dark side, but we can be certain that the Founding Father wasn't quite as upstanding as the history books would have you believe. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Wednesday with part two of Ben Franklin. For more information on Franklin's biography, we found Benjamin Franklin, An American Life by Walter Isaacson, especially helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Until then, remember the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Scott Stronach, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Lisa S. Boyd, with writing assistance by Angela Jorgensen and Mackenzie Moore. Fact-checking by Anya Barely and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy.
Hi, it's Carter from Parcast. Every Thursday on Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition, we're uncovering secrets hidden deep within the archives of the Central Intelligence Agency to bring you a special collection of episodes from shows across our network. Follow the new Spotify original from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.